Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. How should you steward your body? Are all bodily pleasures inherently sinful? In order to grapple with these questions, we take a tour through the Bible from the Garden of Eden through the time of Jesus to observe the balanced biblical perspective between asceticism, the idea of denying all pleasures, and hedonism, the idea of living for pleasure. As it turns out, God designed us to experience pleasure, but within his boundaries. We discussed several of these before considering how sometimes we may need to enter a period of abstinence to recenter ourselves. Lastly, we look at how legalism can sneak in and wreak havoc when we impose our own personal boundaries on other Christians as well. This is part two in our stewardship series. Last week we did stewarding the earth, this week is stewarding the body, and here now is Offscript episode 31. Today we're in part two of our series on stewardship, and we're talking about stewarding our bodies. So just like last time when we looked at stewarding creation, so it is this time that we begin in the beginning with Genesis and creation theology, because when it comes to our bodies and bodily pleasures, the starting point is the design God came up with in the first place. So for example, God gives us originally the Garden of Eden. Do either of you know what the word Eden means in Hebrew? It means pleasure. Uh, pleasure or delight. The Garden of Pleasure. Isn't that something? Wow. So God's original design is to put these people, his first people, in this Garden of Pleasure or Garden of Delight so that they could enjoy the fruits of the place and so that they and they were naked and unashamed and god's command is rule over the world and fill the earth with people which of course involves a certain kind of pleasurable activity as well so i mean that's that's the starting point for humans and the human body is paradise and pleasure and then also want to add to that kind of like a scientific mindset that God's design of the human body itself, just by looking at how our bodies are designed, indicates to us that he designed our bodies to experience pleasure. And so if we, if we talk about just like the feeling you get when you rub your fingers across your skin, I mean, that didn't have to be like that. I mean, at a very minimal level, the skin just needs to detect danger so that you can pull away. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really all you have to have. But instead, you think about all the different kinds of senses that we can have in our skin. Think of like getting a massage. Why should that feel so good? <laughs> think about our taste buds and the incredible experiences that we can have with so many different types of cuisine. Think about our noses and our olfactory systems and how we're able to smell just like such a wide range of not just edible things but like Flowers. things that yeah just smell really nice you know <laughs> obviously we could talk about other aspects of the human body that also experience pleasure i don't think we need to go there but like if you look at the design of the human body it is designed by someone who obviously thought bodily pleasures are good 
So for me, that's a starting point for any discussion about stewarding our body. And I say this somewhat reactively because I feel like so much of the Christian stereotype today is that we are ascetics. We think pleasure is evil. Everything is sinful. Everybody's going to hell unless you just like sit cross-legged praising Jesus. That's not at all the picture I see in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus turned uh, water into wine. And was clearly, <laughs> <laughs> we're to uh, enjoy our, uh, as you said, uh, the way we were created. Well, you hear the one about the Baptist, right? Let's hear it. Have you heard it? Uh, Probably. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, so Jesus performed a miracle in turning water into wine. The Baptist oh, yeah. performed an even greater miracle, turning wine into grape juice. True, true. <laughs> also, uh, Jesus said clearly that the older grape juice is better. Mm. You don't want to put <laughs> you don't want to put new grape juice in old old grape juice skins. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Leave that Welch's on the shelf for a few more years, and then it'll be vintage. That's such a great point, Dan. Because if if Jesus were anti-alcohol, then he would not have made it available for there to be more alcohol. And, you know, there's just like a whole, there, there's just a whole different mindset between modern American Christianity or American Christianity and like the history of how Christianity worked itself out here with the temperance movement and everything else and AA groups. Mm-hmm. And then the Hebrew mindset and Jesus's own context where alcohol is totally normal. There are no like you know, if you look like you're under 40, we're going to card you. Like, that just wasn't part of their world. Mm-hmm. And people figured it out in families. And yeah, I'm sure they had some people that abused it. And the Bible speaks against that. But then there, there's just like a much more accepting attitude towards alcohol. And like, if you think about it, alcohol does not really serve a good uh, nutritionally. It just kind of loosens you up. You know, I mean, if you're at a wedding, that's the context for this this thing you were talking about with Jesus, then it lubricates the wheels a little bit. (laughs) And so I think what we have in the Bible is a really strong emphasis on bodily pleasures being taken for granted as normal and good. And I I also look to even the law of Moses with all the feast days. You, You have these holy days, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. I mean, what's the one that's not like the others? It's the Day of Atonement. And on that day... There was fasting. There was mourning for the state of the country or corporate sin or individual sin and all this kind of thing. And there was cleansing. But that's only a day. Mm-hmm. All the other ones were like a whole week. Mm-hmm. And they were called feasts, not fasts. And, and the way they celebrated them was to prepare ahead of time and often to travel to Jerusalem. And so you're going to a faraway place and depending on how far away you live. And then you eat and you don't work and you enjoy time with other believers. Mm. When somebody's able to like design a calendar, what sorts of things do they put on it? And that tells you something about their heart. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is the calendar God designed. It tells you something about his heart. He's like, hey, I want you guys to have a good time together and I want it to be centered around me, but I want you to eat. I don't want you to like afflict yourselves, but there is a, a place and a time for that as well. Or even just the Sabbath day in general from, from the laws, it was a day for the people to take a rest. It, it was not ever designed to be a burden it was designed to be a blessing in addition 
in the wisdom literature, we have a number of these really pro-marriage statements, like Proverbs 5, 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. May her breast satisfy you at all times. May you be intoxicated always by her love. I mean, that, that tells us that God's the inventor of marital intimacy and that he thinks that we, we shouldn't like feel bad about it or uh, be embarrassed, but like this is something to enjoy. Enjoy your, your wife, enjoy your husband. Or in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7, talks about eating and work. It says, go eat your bread with enjoyment, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has long ago approved what you do. Let your garments always be white, do not let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that you are given <laughs> under the sun. <laughs> because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. He's so cynical. <laughs> Even in his uh, enjoy your wine, you vain person. <laughs> the Bible is pro-pleasure and it's pro like taking, taking pleasure in work. And this all relates to how our bodies are and how we steward them. There are some people and some traditions, notably among the different orders of the Catholic Church throughout time, but also there are some, some Protestants and, and other groups as well outside of the mainstream that have taken a bodily pleasures is bad approach to Christianity and it, uh, practice celibacy, for example, or very restricted diets and other sorts of uh, training exercises uh, so that they could sort of prepare themselves for the spiritual battle. And I don't know, I, I, I really struggle to like say that those people are doing anything wrong. I mean, I, I think the issue is when they say, oh, well, it's sin for you to put honey on your toast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, buddy, you've just crossed the line. Because yeah. now, now you're judging me and there's no place in the Bible that says that. So and like, if you want to have your own rules, you know, that's yeah. cool. And one of the prophets lived off locusts and honey, so... But there are, you know, there are, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, bodily pleasures here. There are rules. There's rules with sex. There's rules with alcohol. There's rules with whatever bodily pleasure you're pursuing, food, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and it's important to, to know what those rules are and to abide by them. There's a verse in Isaiah... 511 taking alcohol for example woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink who stay up late in the evening and that wine may inflame them that's somewhat strong language woe to them you know uh it's it's language that sort of evokes this feeling of you know these people are are you know sort of lost and kind of uh not stewarding their body well or or their time and there's a verse in um first peter that talks about be of sober spirit. I don't think that's necessarily talking about alcohol per se, but it could be. First Peter 5, 8 and 9, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I tie that uh, verse to, to alcohol, but also to just... Um, you know, what you're talking about, what you're thinking about. And those things can get complicated when, you know, if you're imbibing too much, for example, talking about, we just came back from family camp and we were talking about having spiritual eyes and drinking too much would probably interfere with that. So is that a position that you want to put yourself in? It's just something that you have to consider. 
And excess is always something um, to avoid also. Your greatest joy is supposed to be in your love relationship with your Heavenly Father. Other pleasures falling under that will be healthy and you'll be able to enjoy them in a healthy way. But if you pursue them to excess, um, they may have the reverse effect and destroy destroy you, um, consume you, and, and harm your testimony as well. Yeah, I, I think God is, is the one who puts these boundaries in place. And it's like my vegetable garden i have a raised bed vegetable garden and i put those that boundary that like cedar wood boundary on there so that the vegetables inside would be somewhat protected from like crazy amounts of weeds that would get in there if i just like did it at the grass level or dogs that would come up and pee on the vegetables (laughs) (laughs) or uh, you know it just sort of like gives them a certain boundary and within that boundary they can flourish more than if i just dug a little hole in the grass and planted it there Mm -hmm. Mm. and so i think it is with god he sort of stakes our tomatoes our tomato plants and when you do that the tomato plant can grow much larger because it doesn't like get top heavy and just like bend over and and the tomatoes rocks are touching the ground no mm-hmm. now it flourishes it's, it's restricted but precisely precisely because of the restriction it's able to produce more fruit and and be a happier plant <laughs> so these boundaries that god gives us are extremely important and we need to know what they are mm-hmm. so the one you mentioned there was about alcohol so god gives he engineers the world in such a way that alcohol is a possibility for people to make whatever kind. And then he puts a boundary on it, which is don't get drunk and don't make it be what your life is about, mm-hmm. which is this verse you read. Somebody that's rising early in the morning to run after strong drink, that's obviously moved from a position of something to be enjoyed to something that is a heart pursuit. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're staying up late as well. Or, so that's, that's the alcohol. Another one of these boundaries relates to food, and we have the sin of gluttony, which is most definitely alive and well in our world today, mm-hmm. <laughs> in an age of cheap food and you know relative prosperity. This becomes a significant issue. I don't know if you guys have ever watched any of these shows. They don't personally draw me, but... I know some folks really get into them where it's like my 500 pound life mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, you have these people that have just taken eating to such an extreme that they have to order their food in because, you know, they're, they're limited in mobility. And then they, they let down a, a bucket out of the window and it's like, all right, here's the money, put the food in it, bring it back up because they're stuck in one part of the house because oh. they're like too wide to get down the stairs or, and then, Sometimes you see these news pieces where the fire department has to like disassemble the front part of the house or a part around a window to get the person out to bring them to the hospital because otherwise they were they were going to die mm. from whatever self-inflicted condition they had. So, I mean, th- obviously these are extreme examples of gluttony, but this, there is a boundary that God puts on that as well. And on one side of it, you don't eat enough now you're an anorexic and you're wasting away you eat too much and then you're going to have health issues on the other side diabetes heart heart disease and other kinds of issues that come along in proverbs 28 verse 7 it says the one who keeps the law is a son with understanding but a companion of gluttons shames his father and this is just a, a general mindset here in proverbs 
that it's just like, hey, I'm just going to eat as much as I want and I'm just going to go nuts. I mean, this is not like generally being eating unhealthy food. I think this is somebody that's like, hey, we're going to go with the purpose of overeating at this party. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, I think we do have to watch this and we do need to be careful of, of the boundaries that exist. And, you know, when it comes to something like food and health is extremely individual too. One person can have two sandwiches. Another person can have one. Mm-hmm. A third person maybe can only have half a sandwich. And depending on their body sa- size, their metabolism, what kind of work they do, that is going to have a big effect on it. So this is this is something each person has to figure out for themselves. As far as the accusation goes on Jesus, because they call him a glutton and a drunkard, mm-hmm. he would be more lumped in on the side that's enjoying the pleasures right. <laughs> than right. on the side that's like, oh, I don't want to... You know, I want to watch, you know, everything I eat. So I think we have to always keep that in mind. But at the same time, you know, there's no place that Jesus is like known for being like excessively obese or <laughs> having mobility issues. Mm-hmm. You know, he walked everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think there is a boundary there. I don't have like a specific verse, though, that says this is this is where the line is for you. Right. Like, whereas for alcohol, we do. Right. If you're drunk, it's sin. <laughs> Full stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is one that's more of a gray area. Speaking on the topic of gluttony, I'm reminded of a scene in the Hunger Games. I'm not sure if it was in the movie, but it was in the book. And just to set it up a little bit for you, Katniss, the main character, comes from this sort of really rural area that's very poor. And she goes to the capital of this, you know, fictional world. And there's a banquet held in her honor because, you know, they're all warriors and they're all going to fight each other. So they're at this banquet and all this sumptuous food and uh, all these fancy clothes. And it's a, you know, culture shock for, for Katniss. And she's looking around and she sees people drink this liquid and then throw up. And she's like, why are they doing that? And they're throwing up so that they can eat more. <laughs> and it was just one of those scenes that like sort of jumped out at you and was like, wow, I mean, you could picture something like that in a, in a hedonist society where, you know, they're pursuing pleasure and they want to um, get the most out of it. So they're going to, they're going to, you know, taste the food and then because they want to enjoy more of it, they're going to free up space in their stomach. And it, it was a really stark sort of fictional example of, of sort of the lengths that people will go that don't seem that unrealistic. Yeah. Well, I think the Romans were known for that as well. Oh, they actually did it. Yeah, like mm-hmm. dinner parties okay. where there was just excess in every every category. You know, there'd be orgies, there would be drunkenness, there would be yeah. excessive feasting and then vomiting and then excessive feasting. Absolutely a different focus because in that case, or in, in the case of hedonism, the word ethis is the Greek word for pleasure. So like the goal of your life, the ism of your life is pursuing pleasure. So if you're really, uh, if you are a really good hedonist, then you will maximize pleasure for yourself. So doing what you just described there, Dan, is completely consistent with that worldview, mm-hmm. you know, but that's not the biblical worldview. So the biblical worldview is very pro pleasure, but it's not hedonist. It's not hedonism. Uh, because there are these boundaries. Like, for for example, a third one that is super easy is that sex is within the boundary of marriage. Mm-hmm. That That's a pretty easy one to understand. And there have been, in the last 10 years or so, a lot of debates on, like, well, but marriage can be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And it's like, well, biblically, the boundary for marriage as the pattern of Adam and Eve and then other plenty of other verses as well is between a man and a woman. And that's just like, all right, Here's the walls of the vegetable garden. And then like within there, have fun, you know, mm-hmm. cultivate your fruit. But then, you know, I think 
we want to say, well, hold on, who's who is who is there to say that we should have these boundaries? I should be able to make up my own boundaries, and that's when you start defying what God says is right. And now you've moved off the reservation. You're your own God because you're your own ultimate authority. And so I hope you have a plan for what happens after you die as your own God, how to save yourself. That's not a really cynical, but <laughs> uh, there you have it. In reading um, to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 6, um, Paul is addressing sexual immorality um, that's running among the members of the church there in Corinth. And um, he tries to give them a God-centered approach to things, um, these pleasures that we have in our lives, and how do we limit them, and how do we sort of vet them um, in terms of what is godly. Paul writes, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. So to the best of understanding here, Paul is addressing um, these statements and sort of this attitude um, of licentiousness that the Corinthians had. Um, he addresses um, three different things that they were probably saying um, to justify their behavior. This idea that all things are lawful for me, Paul responds by saying, but not all things are helpful. And that's something to be aware of, the edification of the church and then also your testimony. Another thing um, he addresses is this idea that all things are lawful for me. And Paul says, I will not be dominated by anything. Mm -hmm. That idea where um, eventually the pleasure could overtake you and consume you. Uh, they also um, were saying things like food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Um, Paul reminds them that this this life will end. God will destroy both one and the other. Um, going uh, from the food topic back into sexual immorality, Paul says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but the, for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That is supposed to be um, your topmost assumption in figuring out you know, how to enjoy um, the pleasures of this world. That first of all, um, your body is for the Lord. And to Rose's point, First Peter touches on that in First uh, Peter four three. It's written: For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. That's the idea of you know this BC mindset where you know before you knew God, before you knew Christ, the things that people pursued particularly younger people pursue, you know, partying and hooking up, the whole hookup culture. I mean, we have entire industries built around it. We have entire industries built around drinking and, and uh, of course, and of, uh, and of just having random encounters. That's what you were about before Christ came into your life. And uh, it's important to, to recognize that and put that behind you. I guess it's so important to get these boundaries clear in our heads that, for example, partying, Right, like um, the verse you read there talked about drinking parties and you know some other verses, for example, Galatians 5:21 mentions drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And then Romans 13:13 13, 13 talks again about this same collection of sins, orgies, slash carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, jealousy. You know, in these various vice lists, a lot of times this aspect of having a good time together to excess mm. comes up. We have to be careful there because on one hand, one side, you have Christians who say, well, the Bible's against these things, so we shouldn't play cards, and we shouldn't dance, and we shouldn't have any alcohol, and... That's the boundary we need to hold. That's the line right there. And you know what the difference is between a Christian and a non-Christian? Non-Christians drink beer. And, you know, there are subsections of Christianity, significant subsections of Christianity in America, 
that's where they hold that boundary, okay? Um, and then you have other people that are like so focused on Jesus. Oh, well, Jesus was called a drunkard and a gluttons, and he was always going out to dinner with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And so I'm going out to dinner with the prostitutes, and I'm going to go... <laughs> You know, to to the parties where everyone's getting drunk and wasted and doing cocaine and meth, and that's where the sinners are. So that's where I'm going to be. And I'm going to go to the rave and I'm going to take ecstasy. And, you know, there's like the whole party culture in America. It's very strong. And you know, what really matters is my faith. That's one side of it. Which obviously, I'm kind of being a little facetious here. Like obviously an extreme position then you have the other side it's like is that is that a package of uh cards in your pocket because um we don't play cards around here it's like well what how did, how is how is that a sin well it's not mentioned about yeah but we don't want to go down that road there, there are other little rules like this that, that christians have and it's like okay how can we establish that boundary can you have a get together with friends that involves eating and drinking and maybe a game or some sort of competition and, and have it be enjoyable and then not have it exceed into excess and hedonism and all that. I think that's the sweet spot of where you want to be, where right. you're not saying, oh, well, having fun is illegal or on the other side, all that matters is my faith. So God just looks at my heart. I can basically be as extreme as the world is on this. And that seems to be the balance that Jesus was able to, to sort out. I mean, he would be with the sinners. And, and, you, and you, you better believe, at some of the dinner parties Jesus went to, there were some people there that were drunk. There were probably a couple of folks that, you know, maybe on the back end of the room or, you know, their, their whole seating arrangement and housing structure was totally different than ours, much more open, and people would come in and out. And... Yeah, there probably were, but you you better believe Jesus wasn't one of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And so, like, as the the Jesus follower, we want to be able to be in those kinds of environments to to at least some degree, and yet retain our holiness and our serenity, and not compromise our testimony. Mm-hmm. And that is a case by case basis because yeah. it depends mm-hmm. on who you're with and what their background is, and what your own weaknesses are. Yeah. You have to be really aware of what your own weaknesses are. Yeah, I think knowing your own weaknesses is key. I've heard many people justify saying this doesn't affect me, but we're not supermen like that. Mm. Jesus, we do know, was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was incredibly strong. Jesus was able to go into those places and come out untainted and leave his own influence behind and his own uh, his own kingdom message behind. We have to know when we are being conformed to the world or when we are tr- truly being transformed by the renewing of our mind and doing kingdom business. Um, if we are honest with our own weaknesses, um, I think it will become clear to us if we are in an open and, and, um, and submissive relationship with God. What do you want from me? How far can I go? How far can I be holy? And what, what is the line at which point I have um, chased my own pleasures over chasing following you? And I think one of the greatest keys in sorting that all out is to not allow any bodily pleasure terminate in the pleasure itself, but see it all the way through to glorifying God. You know, So I like to use the example of taking a hot shower. I just love hot showers. I'm thankful to live in the 21st century where the hot showers are normal. But, like, I could sit there and just, like, feel that and just be like, oh, oh, this feels so nice and relaxing or whatever. Or I could be like, thank you, God, for giving me mm-hmm. receptors on my skin to perceive this wonderful 
invention mm-hmm. you know and that fluid dynamics works as it does or you know i'm getting a little technical but like you know <laughs> that whatever pleasure we experience is a gift from god right and if we can bring have that-, that mindset on anything we do yeah i think it's sort of like using what god has given us in a way to direct back to him right and i think he gets a residual blessing from that yeah you know you give somebody something and then you see them use it and say i really enjoy it and they say thanks for that you know right it, it, it makes a difference. Mm. Your shower thing is funny. I have definitely worshiped God over hot towels out of the dryer before. I'll be like, oh. Father, this is so good. <laughs> Praise you for the laws yeah. of thermodynamics. <laughs> for, yeah. for dryers. Um, I also want to touch a little bit on, um, you know, the Bible doesn't call for asceticism, but I think there is a place for, you know, temporary asceticism where if you're trying to kick a bad habit or if you're trying to draw closer to God, you know, thinking about fasting or um, the Nazarite vow, where they would do these things uh, in the case of the Nazarite vow I think they would um they wouldn't cut their hair they wouldn't drink wine or or any great product um they wouldn't touch a dead body you know there were several rules and stuff and but the goal was to you know to to draw closer to God and I think there is certainly a place for that and there are callings too yeah some people are called to live a certain way right say for example a Nazarite like you just mentioned mm-hmm. It's not okay for a Nazarite to even eat a raisin. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's the fruit of the vine. Right? I mean, forget alcohol, a raisin. Yeah. So like you're you're hanging out with somebody that has a Nazarite vow and their oatmeal raisin cookies, they're like, oh, I got to pass." Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's obviously not our culture today. I can get down with that. I can respect that. Be like, mm-hmm. "Hey, this is the calling I feel God has in my life." Yeah. The like I said before, the issue that I see is when they start saying, "Okay, you have to obey my fence laws." Right. And it's like, you want to erect mm-hmm. a fence so you don't fall off the edge of the world? I respect that. Mm-hmm. But don't erect my fence because I'm not you. We're different people. Sure. And I won't do that to you either. And, and that's a dance and it's a struggle mm-hmm. and you got to figure it out. And it's different for you at different times in your life. You know, like there, there was a time in my life with alcohol where I just absolutely cut it out. Uh, didn't have a sip for four years. And it was just like, I, I can't handle it. I need to just get out of this. And I had this you know really awkward moment uh my after i proposed to ruth there was a uh, a party at her her job and it's just like an engagement party and so i went she worked in an office and i came upstairs and we're there and i'm feeling so awkward anyhow because i don't know anybody except for like the girl in my dreams and i'm standing here next to her and they hand me a bottle of champagne and they're like you know open it Mm. and i'm just i'm just like horrified like i haven't had a sip in four years or three years at that time whatever it was and i also don't know how to open a bottle of champagne (laughs) you know shoot someone's eye out (laughs) i really didn't know what to do so ruth i'm like ruth like how do you even do this you know and and she's like all right this is what you do and she should she kind of like gave me instructions on the sly so that i could kind of operate in the manly capacity i was being called upon to do and, uh, you know, I untwisted the little sides and I got the thing and I popped it and then I, I poured it and I'm like, like I, at this point I was really strong. Like, I'm not like, I don't care if I have to make a fool of my, myself in front of all these people, I'm not going to have it. And so I just, I, but then I, I could become like the guy that pours it. Right. Mm-hmm. So that participate. Yeah. So that worked out and like, and it, yeah. it was never really an issue anyhow. And then after I got married, she convinced me to drink again. So they, they, everything's been responsibly. has <laughs> <laughs> gone off a cliff. It's a good influence. Uh, Sean, to your point about a calling, um, 
I think there's sort of a New Testament parallel in the Nazarite vow and Paul, where he talks about Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, um, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's not a set of a set of rules, um, but it is sort of a calling to, like we mentioned in um, uh, earlier in the podcast, of of putting those things sort of behind you, of of being sanctified and set apart, and really delineating, you know, what you do for pleasure and for fun from what the world does for pleasure and for fun. And I think that's that distinction. It, it's important to make in your life. Back to what you were talking about a few minutes ago, Sean. Um, different people will have different consciences and different ways that we um, relate to pleasure and relate to God. And this will mean different things for different people. When you try to carve out a hard and fast law and enforce it on other people is when things can get really dicey. And, uh, you know, when God n- isn't necessarily in all your hard and fast rules. I'm not sure all the background uh, with everything that was going on in Colossians, but it sounds like people were trying to kind of create a little law. Um, sometimes it's easier to live in legalism than it is to live in grace. And Paul wrote to them, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The important thing um, is the heart and that the worship going on is authentic to God. If you um, are sort of creating the shell of like religion or of apparent pseudo-holiness through all these things, be aware that the heart and and the true worship of God needs to be first and foremost um, before, you know, creating this world um, sort of of a law. Wrapping things up here, what we've seen is that God made our bodies, he designed our bodies to experience pleasure, therefore pleasure is inherently not neutral, but good, because it's part of God's good design. And then he gave us boundaries. Even in the Garden of Eden, there was a boundary. It's like, eat from all the fruit of all the trees, except for this one. And that was the boundary that was there. And, and so it is carried on that there are forbidden fruit boundaries, so to speak, within different arenas of bodily pleasures to keep us, like that tomato plant, staked and producing fruit as opposed to tipped over and rotting. <laughs> and so the problem comes in when we can't indulge in a bodily pleasure within a boundary because of a weakness that we have or some sort of flaw in our personality or stuff that's happened to us in our lives. And in those cases, you have to just abstain sometimes for a time from whatever that is so that you can get it out of your system or you can get clarity or get healing or whatever. And, and for some people that's like, hey, I just can't have one drink or else I just go nuts, mm-hmm. and I and I ha- and I have to have more and more and more and, until I get drunk. Look, if that's your situation, then you have to realize what your limitation is, and you don't drink. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's more than okay. That's a sacrifice. It's a godly sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to Him. But then you are not free to impose that on everyone else, right? Same thing with eating. You know, somebody might say, oh, I just I cut out all desserts because if they didn't have an extreme position on it, they were just eating dessert like three meals a day. 
a donut for breakfast, lunch, a little dessert after lunch, dinner, dessert, and, and it was getting to the point of diabetes or mm-hmm. obesity, right? So for them, they made themselves rule. I just don't eat desserts. It's like, all right, cool, man. I respect that. Yeah, you know, and so that and that's I think the 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 sort of nuanced Christian position on it is like pleasure is good, boundaries are necessary. God sets them up, and then you might have to set up additional restrictions for yourself. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, to take that nuance a little further, it's important to be sensitive to each other's, you know, the boundaries that they've, that they've set up, if at all possible. Um, Paul in Corinthians talks about, uh, in 1 Corinthians 8, <clears throat> he's talking about liberty and, you know, that, that we can eat these things and that, you know, the, the food uh, dedicated to idols, that whole section of scripture, and, and weaker brothers and sisters, if what you're doing is, is causing them to stumble, you know, you're not going to take an alcoholic to a party where there's going to be alcohol. Like you got to be smart about those things. And yes, that is sort of an imposition of, of them. Like, you know, this is their problem. So why should it affect me? But if you're, if you're truly pursuing Christ and, and, and trying to help this person, or you're just friends with them um, and encouraging them, it's important to be sort of sensitive to those boundaries when you're when you're with people who have put in boundaries for themselves it's, it's important to just i just want to make the point that it's important to be aware of that that those that those things exist and you don't want to put a stumbling block right in front of somebody right yes yeah and i think we should be each other's allies if we need to take extreme measures in our life to avoid sin and to and to center ourselves on god instead of on some sort of pleasure that we were obsessed with before above and beyond just not putting a stumbling block in front of them, be each other's allies, look out for each other, encourage each other in what we need to do um, to pursue holiness. Yeah, and I I would build in times of the year as well where you cleanse yourself and you do abstain from certain things and and whether that's fasting or that's eating a restricted diet or just like no alcohol for a while or whatever bodily pleasure we're talking about, like we, we have to recenter ourselves from time to time. And that's the only way to like not just like slide down the slippery slope sometimes in our lives is just like all right this week i'm just eating salad or whatever (laughs) i don't know just made that up but like whatever that rule is or i did a week where i just did raw vegetables like that's all i'm gonna eat this week and it just kind of just reset my palate Mm. and then you know by the end of the week i could actually start tasting the vegetables because i'm like not so conditioned by high fructose corn syrup (laughs) injected in everything to think that vegetables don't have any flavor like by the end of the week they start having flavor Mm -hmm. you know because like our bodies adjust so i think that's something else to keep in mind but uh i think that's about it for today right take us out rose as believers um we have the amazing gift of holy spirit within us and our bodies um, are supposed to be viewed as a temple of the holy spirit which we have from god First Corinthians 6 says, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. So our ambition as believers is to glorify God in our body. That is the first thing that we're supposed to think about in terms of forming a Christian approach to this. Um, but I believe if God is our, our primary pleasure, that the other ones we will be able to experience um, in a more wholesome and healthful um, and truly enjoyable way in fellowship with each other. Thank you so much, guys. We hope we've uh, blessed you, encouraged you, and given you something to think about. I'm going to say goodbye this week in Slavic. Zbohom. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you would like to check out the other episode we've done on this series, Stewarding the Earth, you can do that online or in your phone or tablet. Just subscribe to us and it'll show up there as Offscript Episode 30. Also, if you'd like to read an article on this subject, bodily pleasures, and how 
how the idea of asceticism, that all pleasure is evil, invaded the Church in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, uh, take a look at the show notes for today, or you can jump on to restitutio.org and look for Offscript episode 31, Stewarding Our Bodies, and scroll down to the links, and I have a link to an article that I wrote some time ago about that. And for next week, we're going to look at the subject of tattoos and piercings. So stay tuned for that. As always, check us out online at restitutio.org. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.